Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. So let's look at this together. Ephesians 5, verse 21 reads, it says, Now after you give thanks for all things in the Lord, verse 20, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, in verse 21, then he says, Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Then he goes on, verse 22. We'll come back to that, what it means in a few minutes. But then he says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. This is your wifely duty is to be, or or another translation, I grew up reading uh, the King James Bible tells us, Wives, see to it that you, what? It's a very hated word in our culture right now. That submit. Oh, submit. Oh, no. You preachers preach that submit stuff. Listen to this. You need to read this in context. It says submit. Well, what the verse, verse 21 said, if I read it from the King James, it says, submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. So what's it, what's it implying that we would submit to one another? Well, I have to read you a little further and it might, I can bring out the, uh, the wording, what it comes from in the Greek and see if it helps bring in some understanding. He says here, for the husband is the head of the wife as it says Christ also is the head of the church and he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. Now for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. You've heard that in the marriage vows. No longer will they be two, they shall be one. Now Paul says in verse 32, this mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, he says, let each individual among you love his own wife, even as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. Well, I read this over, I thought, hmm, first of all, this part of submitting, the wife submitting to the husband, it's, well, it comes with a condition. See, these guys come to me sometimes. You tell my wife to submit to me. And I said, all right, I will. Tell you what, let me talk to her and find out something. This man that is demanding that you submit to him, does he lay down his life for you the way Christ laid down his life for the church? Does he love you the way Jesus loved his church? Is he, sh does, because, okay, wait a minute. If I get a guy to love a gal the way Christ loves the church. He first is willing to lay his life down. What, what's the next thing he's willing to do? It says he, he sanctifies her. Oh, this is not a word we use in English. No. To learn the meaning of the word sanctify, 
from their culture. This is a cultural word in the Greek. The Greeks were polytheistic. They, in other words, they had many gods. They they had Hermes and Zeus and and was Poseidon for the water. They had these different gods and goddesses that they worshipped. And whenever you'd go into a, a wealthy Greek's home that had the like the the pillars at the entryway, the foyer with the with those big carved stone, you know, marble pillars, and you'd enter in, and there'd be a we call it a reception room or a, a it's basically the room you walk into to make a grand statement. It's just a large, vast open space that says, I am so wealthy, I can have this big space that just sits here and does nothing. Just greets my guest. It's it's the welcome room. But it's it's grand. The ceilings are vaulted and lifted up on pillars. They're really high. And, and in true Greek fashion, if you had the wealth, when you walked into the house, straight as you walked through the main pillars and went into the, the reception room, there would be a pillar that was about six feet high, the height of a man's head. It would be just one, the most ornate carved pillar they could afford out of marble and all the little scrolls, and, and they would put that pillar there, and it would be the statement. It was the focal point of their feng shui design of their, of their house. And when you went in right on that pillar, if you're raised in the Greek culture, you would pick whichever god or goddess that you liked the most, that you decided was the one you were going to serve, they picked and choose, just like some people do today. And they would put their statue. If it was Zeus, they put a statue of Zeus right on, the, right on that pillar. That pillar was called the sanctification pillar. It was the pillar where only you could only put one statue. It was not meant to share. You couldn't, well, I'm into Zeus, but I also don't want to offend the other guy. So I put him, a little statue, him, you know. Well, interesting to me that Paul, when writing to the church, how men are to love their wives and lay down their lives for their wives, like Christ did the church. And the very first thing he tells you after you lay down your life for your wife is that you sanctify her. You put her on that top shelf. She's, she has the position of no other person is above her. She is on the, we, we use the word top shelf, so to speak, in English, but, but this is a place of great prominence. You're displaying to the whole world without shame. They, they would say the God that I sanctify is whichever statue they put there. Paul says, take your wife and put her there. Now, how's a gal feel if, by, by the way, I've had to point this out to some young men because some of the young men say, well, honey, I love you and I really want to marry you and I want to be with you forever, but my mom is always going to be there in my heart. Can never, you, you, she's always, you, you two will share the top shelf. I think just pull a revolver out and shoot your toes off one at a time. It'll be less painful than what you just said. That's the stupidest thing you could do. How, how does a woman feel if she has to share the shelf? Is it is it wired in women where they share for that particular spot of affection? No. They're made just to be on that spot, no sharing, just her. And that's true sanctification, by the way. Now, Paul's using a Greek word in a Greek culture, but he's bringing out a pretty important idea. The very first thing, beside, after telling the guys love your wife like Christ does the church and lay down your life for her. The next thing he tells him to do 
is make sure you sanctify her. And then what's he say next? Let me just go over. I'm going to go over all the things he tells the guys to do first before I go back to the ladies' instruction. Because the ladies' instruction is kind of, well, one-liner. It's pretty easy. But, but for the guys, listen up, boys. This is the hard part. After you sanctify her, it, it says, then you, it says, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory with no spot nor wrinkle nor any such thing that she should be holy and blameless it says here if you're going to if you're going to love your wife the way Christ loved the church when Christ presents his bride will he present us with any spot any wrinkle or any such thing Will there be any flaw that the people... No, because Christ has paid for all of those things. He doesn't present his church as, here's my flawed bride, look it, she's all messed up. But some men, when they present their wives, they do that to their wife. How does that make the wife feel? Well, how would we feel as a church if Christ presented us that way? You know, the thing about being a Christian that's so beautiful is we have a, a Lord that forgave all our sin and it says, and he washes us, cleansing us with, with the water of the word. He, he's continually doing this cleansing in us so he can present us in full glory. No spot, no wrinkle, no, no such thing. We get presented blameless, blameless. I don't know about you, but when somebody comes around me that's always pointing out my flaws and pointing the blame and how do you feel about those kind of folks? You want to hang out with them? Let's just go grab a, a, a nice cool cup of ice water and just sit together because I just want to take a beating from you. No. I'm like, get lost. I don't. We naturally are not wired with people. When, when people are always pointing and picking and nitpicking and saying all our flaws. That's not, that's not the way. Well, men, that's not the way Paul instructs us to love our wives. He says love our wives presenting them, they're perfect. You want to talk about my wife? When people say, oh yeah, tell me the dirt. There is no dirt. She's perfect. She's a perfect, for me, she's a perfect bride. And my job is to make sure I present her that way. Not going, oh yeah, and she blew it over here and she did that. Did you burn the toast? Does she, does she do this? That's such a distasteful thing. Now, gals, how do you feel if your husband does stick up for you and doesn't present you with any flaw? He just looks at, the, like my grandfather did one time when this fellow was trying to make a joke in our, in my grandfather's own kitchen. He was a guest. And he made some joke about something about the toast being burned. You know, my wife burns the toast. And he, he turned to my grandfather and he asked him, so is, is it, your wife burns the toast all the time too, right? And my grandfather looked at him with, the Sicilian eyes that could drop you. I mean, make you die on the spot. He looked like like with death daggers at the man. Like, you think I'm going to tell you if my wife did something wrong? you you got to be out of your gourd. He would die before he would speak any ill word against his wife. And he corrected the man right on the spot. You think that I would say to you a guest, anything but my wife, and his English wasn't so good, but he put it in English for this guy because 
he didn't speak Italian, and but it was pretty gruff. And he told him, I'd rather die than tell you, some low-life person, a bad thing about my wife. Never. I was a young man witnessing this. I thought, my, I looked at my Nona, at her eyes. How do you think she felt when my grandfather stood and told that man, stuff a sock in it? I'll never... She's over there in the kitchen just behind. And I can see her little cheeks going up. And she's smiling. And she's just there at the at the sink getting taking care of the stuff. And and I'm thinking, way to go. No, no. I mean, he let him he told that guy. But I didn't realize that that wasn't the norm of what most marriages were experiencing. I just grew up with a great example of a man who actually did this presented his wife without spot, without wrinkle. He never said anything bad to anyone about her. How does she feel, by the way? Sanctified. She feels like he's looking out for me. She feels... Now, if you can receive this, there's more instructions the guy still has to do. This is just part of the instruction list. See, he has to present her like this, and then he has to love her, it says the way he loves his own body. Because he says, he who loves his own wife loves himself. Because no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes his flesh. He cherishes his flesh. Oh, flesh, I got to take care of you. You're my flesh. You know, we, we, we pamper our own flesh pretty good. We don't even need instructions. No instructions necessary to do things to your own flesh. If you if you, if, if you got a, an ache in your hand or, or, you know, your foot is sore... You don't have to go and take a class that says, hey, whenever you have a sore foot, you might want to reach down there and give it a little rub and we, we will figure out how to pamper ourselves. But this says, I'm supposed to do it for who? As a husband. For my wife. Because she is now part of my flesh. You can't sweep this under the rug and say, well, she doesn't do it for me, so I don't do it for her. Where did it say anywhere in here that she has to do this? Did, did you guys notice it? Was there a verse that says, so wives, make sure that you cherish and nourish your husband. Did it say that anywhere in there? No. Just says the husband's got to cherish and nourish his wife. This is interesting. I mean, I read this. I was like, Lord, wait a minute. I got to give up my life for her sanctify her, cleanse her, wash her with the word, present her with no spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she'll be holy and blameless. I got to love her like she's my own body. I have to nourish and cherish her. And I have to see to it, most importantly, verse 33, that I love her even as myself. She has to be, she has to know I love her as much as I love myself. Some men are failing miserably at this in our, in our culture. They love themselves over everyone else. And they wonder why their marriages are failing. I'm like, because she doesn't feel loved. She, she, she's not even loved as much as you love yourself. But if you're really going to love your wife, the way Christ loved the church, Christ laid down his life for the church. He put us in front of himself. He didn't make himself the most important thing. He made us the most important thing. 
And if we're going to follow Christ's example, this is how we have to love our wives, doing all of these things. Now, if a man will love his wife like this, how will how will it be for their marriage? Yeah. Because the, the woman, now I used to, the first time I read this, I was like, there's a typo in the Bible. I found it. And I, I told my friend, I, I'm pretty sure there's a typo. They said, what do you mean? I said, well, it says here, the guy has to love her, lay down his life, love her like his own flesh. He's got to nourish her, cherish her. And I didn't even know what some of these words, I didn't know the thing about sanctify meant the pillar, you know, and top shelf and all that. I just, I was, I was just overwhelmed by the other stuff. That's a lot of stuff. And there's got to be a typo because they left out the whole paragraphs for the girls. All it says they got to do is one thing. Respect. Yeah. Submit to him. Show respect. You know, this is like, um, God, you left out the instructions for the girls. And he goes, I did not. Isn't it funny how the guys are wired different than the gals? You can tell us you love us. You can do nice things for us. You can do all this stuff. But if, if a woman doesn't show respect to her man, even if she does a lot of these other things here, what the man is supposed to be doing for her, will the man feel loved? Now, I didn't understand this as a young man. I would come to be sitting in a psychology class where, where the professor would explain that the wiring of a man and a woman's emotional perceptions of love are with two different grids. And the woman's grid has a lot of boxes that you've got to fill in. And the man's grid has one. Now, he, wasn't a, he was not a Christian man. He was a psychology professor that observed that if a man is told, I don't respect you. In fact, he used the example, he says, in school, when we want to get a guy out of the club or get him away from us because he's annoying us, we all we do is we diss him. We disrespect them. As a man, if there's a guy coming around and you don't want him in the group, you just start, hey, your mother dresses you funny. Or, hey, you, that's a really rotten outfit. Or, you know, where, where'd you get that at? The Goodwill or something. And you, you say things to put him down. Disrespect him. If you disrespect a man a few times, by the way, even as kids, we figured this out. We didn't label it disrespecting. We just, we called it put-downs. You're so low, you could go under the door when it's closed. I'm not going to say any more than that because they weren't edifying the things what we would say. But they were cruel. The things what kids come up with that they speak to put someone else down. Why do we put people down? Yeah, to make us think we're up higher. But that's disrespecting a person because Christ never put anyone down. Christ always lifted up. The only people he ever got in, in, in their face was the guys who were supposed to be serve, serving as an example of the Lord, the religious leaders. He, they're the only ones he got on their case. He said, you whitewashed tombs. That was a nice compliment, right? He said, on the outside, you're all clean and beautiful, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. They were not living what they were supposed to be doing. But to the common folk that came around Jesus. Did Jesus ever put them down? Never. He always lifted them up. He always helped them. And we're supposed to imitate Christ. We're supposed to build up people. But if you disrespect them, as a man, you disrespect a man, he'll walk away going, they don't love me. And if he doesn't feel loved, will he want to hang out there? No. 
All it takes is a few remarks of disrespect from a wife and the guy is now a garage dweller or a barn dweller or whatever it is that he retreats to. He will go to the basement. He will go wherever. The Bible says it's better to live in the corner of a roof than in the hole of a palace with a contentious woman. Better just, he's like, look, it's not worth it. I'm going to go over there. And he'll leave. And then the lady will come to me and go, I don't know what's wrong with my husband. He just stays out in the garage all the time. He never comes in. Swoops through the kitchen, grabs something, and leaves. And by the way, you would not believe how many people come to me. They come in. You got to tell her to... See, she submits to me. You, that woman, she doesn't... And You're the pastor. Command her to submit. That's going to work like a real sinking ship. What? When was the last time you sanctified her? When was the last time you let her know that she, you see her with no spot or wrinkle or any such thing? When did you make her feel like you loved her like your own flesh? When you nourish and, you know, in the wedding vow, do you take them to nourish and to cherish till death do you part? When did you, when's the last time you did this? You wouldn't believe how many folks they've taken these vows, but they're not paying them. And then they're wondering, why am I having such trouble in my marriage? I'm like, because this is not a bunch of words on a page that are supposed to stay on the page. These words are supposed to come in here. Right? These words are meant to come in my mind to transform it and sink down that little journey from the, what they call the 12-inch travel from the brain down to the heart. And when it gets down here and I start to live these words, that's when you have a good marriage. That's what we're, and that's what we're intended for right there. That's, that's what the whole instruction's about. Now, this instruction is to the non-believers? No, to the believers. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the big island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at amazinggracekona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.
loved you so much, he wants you back.